I'm Rebecca Stuckey. And I'm Shai Shack. And you're listening to FemFM, a feminist radio show centering QT BIPOC Fems on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Today we're talking about and with QT BIPOC musicians and artists in Halifax and across the country who are creating and reclaiming space for themselves. We look at organizations and collectives who are challenging racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, and ableism in established venues. A safer, safer space refers to a place where anyone can relax and be able to fully express themselves without fear of being made to feel uncomfortable, unwelcome, or unsafe on account of their race, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, cultural background, religious affiliation, age, or physical or mental abilities. The move towards conversations of inclusivity and making spaces safer is a good one. However, making our communities less oppressive is complex and requires work, not rebranding. The work of creating and building safer spaces is complex and complicated because issues like racism, colonialism, sexism, and transphobia are complex and intersectional. Some collectives and venues in Halifax and beyond use and brand themselves with progressive feminist terms like anti-oppressive and safe, safer spaces without doing the integral work to actually make and maintain their venues and platforms as inclusive and welcoming to all. These quote-unquote safe spaces use this language and performative allyship without contributing to the daunting work necessary for spaces to become and function as safe spaces. Those improving their venues, festivals, and organizations through community collaboration and critical analysis and systemic shifts in support with QT BIPOC musicians and artists leading the way and evolving from the get-go are ones that we should be looking to. The work of addressing problematic and abusive behavior in environments already falls on the shoulders of QT BIPOC folks, especially femmes of color. It just goes unrecognized. The work being done to dismantle oppressive environments is labor, and it needs to be paid labor. In creative environments, payment may not always be monetary, but when possible, it should be. This is vital, especially since people who often need to be educated and receive antios are white masculine folks, many of whom are artists who, and musicians in communities who consistently receive more access to things like grants and funding for their projects and work. What's the situation in Halifax? In December 2016 edition of the Coast Halifax Weekly Newspaper, local musician Nick Dorado weighed in on the necessity of the city's music scene to become more inclusive to musicians of color, pointing to the reality that there are few musicians of color that are consistently well-supported in the Maritimes, something that further inhibits marginalized communities to build robust practices in schools of music in Nova Scotia, also ensuring voices from the margins cannot find strong spaces to ground and develop centering narratives. In the same issue, multidisciplinary artist Raven Davis asked hard questions about representation of BIPOC artists in Nova Scotia, including, how can we really call ourselves a diverse city that supports artistic development and celebrates all Nova Scotians when our galleries have no full-time Black or Indigenous staff? Through doing things like consistently booking lineups that predominantly, if not only, feature white, cis, straight men, organizers and bookers communicate to the community, whether intentionally or not, whose voices and whose art and music is important and worthy of providing a platform for. Only a small handful of venues and DIY spaces in Halifax work to confront issues including racism and sexism in their organizing and at their events. Hannah Guinan is the Artistic Director of the Kyber Center for the Arts. The gallery and performance space first started out in a building that's been around for over a century and throughout its history has hosted rad groups and organizations like The Turret, Halifax's first gay bar, which hosted drag shows and cabarets. The center now operates on Hollis Street and since being appointed as the center's artistic director in 2014, Guinan is working hard to make the space accessible and safe for all. Hannah, 
are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm so uh, happy to be here. Why don't you just give like a brief overview of like your history with the Kyber? Yeah, so Kyber started in the 90s uh, and it, it came from a, a group of artists, a, a collective that was working within the building at 1588 Barrington Street called the No Money Down Society. They worked with uh, other artists in Halifax to propose to the city that a, an art center go in the building of the Kyber. Like actively from the 70s to the 90s, it was used by uh, many different groups. It was the, the first gay bar in Halifax called The Turret. It was home to a theater called Wormwood Cinema. It was an active refugee clinic and center for immigration. When I started, I I feel like there was a lot of toxic misogyny within the space and things that I was dealing with in the space and, and other femme folks. Like a lot of femme people working behind the scenes, doing a lot of work that wasn't recognized or wasn't acknowledged and volunteer labor and a lot of uh, men in the front of everything. Mm-hmm. So I even remember like doing, uh, like working there as a volunteer and it was like me and my friend Ryan had been doing this tag team together and um, we, it was at a, an AGM at the Kyber and, and you know, we had worked this the center out of like a deficit and, and had brought in a lot of money from doing the events, which in, then in turn went back to artists um, and anyway, it was, there was a big thank you given to, to Ryan Allen for all of his volunteerism at, at, at publicly at the event. And then my friend Ryan turned to me as it was happening and just mouthed, I'm sorry. Yeah. We know you're doing like a lot of work to make the space more uh, accessible to folks and a much more safer space. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can talk about um, how that kind of how that work kind of started. I think that initiatives from many different people, like even like over the time that I've been there, have like led to a more concerted effort and focus. I remember like back in like 2000. 11 maybe Anna Taylor an artist in Halifax coming coming into the building and uh, repainting the washrooms to make them uh, gender neutral spaces so I feel like there have been many artists through this space with that as their focus and that is like really important and needs to be acknowledged and and also it's it as like a continuous work and continuous process from the summer having this group formed called accountability council and so it was uh yeah based on weekly meetings and you know you just you had to show up and uh share the work that you were doing throughout the week if you if you wanted to and then and then talk about the work that you wanted to do the following week and i feel like this led to like collaboration with Avalon and with South House yeah. and with <laughs> you coming into the space Rebecca <laughs> and a continued work with um, Carmela from from South House and Frank from Avalon. We've been working on a mandate that centers um, survivors of sexualized violence acknowledging that this is a, a gender justice issue and recognizing uh, it's not only a issue for cis people, it disproportionately affects trans, non-binary femmes, femmes of all genders, and additionally like cis women, and, and steps we can do to create an environment based on that framework. I'm curious to know like what things uh, or what traditions are you breaking that have 
been like the standard for the Kyber, like mm-hmm. in terms of the the board that has existed to help support it, and even just like yeah, past directors. Like, what are what cycles are you stopping to move forward in a positive way? Like, toxic masculinity and like whiteness must be a thing too. Yes, a hundred percent. Questioning the things that are in place and then re-examining them and then restructuring them um, to 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 better serve like marginalized communities and more people and center the folks that aren't centered through through changing you know ways calls go out that's been a big focus of the programming committee recently is like you know examining even like just the standardized calls that exist with within artist run centers mm-hmm. and you know how those are tailored to funding bodies and they're also like you know done up in a certain way so that like artists can apply from center to center from center to center in, in kind of a similar format when it's like Mm, like who who has access to like how to put together those proposals and it's like basically this the same people that show all the time yep so it's just reworking that call so that it you know that that the submission can be more uh process could be more accessible to to many different people yeah like even the creation of the sexual assault policy right that's a brand new thing for yeah. the center and you folks also created a new board position to mm-hmm. go along with that policy like that's also like a brand new thing for the center recently so like i think that's amazing totally yeah. care up position because there's like a lot of this work that's happening and it's a lot of like behind the scenes work and and you know it's like it's being taken very seriously and it's not like you know even like thinking about things that you can do within like public venues to to make them safer it's not just putting a sign on the wall or having like one workshop or having a gender neutral washroom that's not what makes the space safer it's it's it has to be the the actual people like within the space that are able to like provide that space um acknowledging their privileges and what they can do to to step up and do this work continuously and with flexibility and change and feedback. So Yay. there's a, yeah, there's gonna be an event that was, yeah, organized by uh, myself and Nathan, who's an events chair on the board, and Carmela, who's care up on the board <laughs> and uh, works for South House and Venus Envy, and uh, Frank, who works for Avalon. And it's called Kyber Town Hall, keeping ourselves and our communities accountable. And this is, this is centered around the building of new guidelines and expectations for events and uh, brainstorming accessibility for survivors and and victims centering those voices awesome what's the date of that again march 7th it's a tuesday night from six o'clock to eight p.m at uh at the kyber space at 1880 hollis street there will be people on site for active listening Mm -hmm. awesome that's amazing Awesome. I also appreciate that you use it. You use the term safer space instead of safe space. I, I really appreciate that because I think it's really important to acknowledge that like it is impossible to create a, like a, a completely safe space. Yeah, that's impossible. But it is possible to work towards safer spaces. And that's something that everyone should be working towards. And uh, I think you're doing you're doing amazing and brilliant work.
Canvas is a contemporary art space in Toronto, particularly meant for Black and Diaspora artists. The gallery opened in 2016, and on New Year's Eve, it was hosting an event which welcomed a range of artists, including queer and POC youth. During the event, a police check for a special permit to serve liquor in the space became violent. Police tasered blank canvas owner John Samuels, and a few days later, the gallery locks were changed without any notice. Arts events like the one at Blank Canvas take place in Toronto without permits all the time. If police show up at all, extreme force like this is never used. Artist and Black Lives Matter Toronto activist Cyrus Marcus Ware spoke to Canadian Art about the incident. He said that violent treatment of John Samuels speaks to the anti-black racism within the Toronto Police Service. He also says what happened at Blank Canvas will reflect the way that contemporary art scene interacts with anti-blackness. Blank Canvas is running an Indiegogo campaign to help pay legal fees and fund their new space. If you want to contribute, we'll be posting a link on our SoundCloud and social media feeds. Also, if you're in Toronto, you should check out the Blank Canvas fundraiser on Saturday, February 25th. We'll also share the link to that as well. We had the opportunity to speak with Hannah Jama. Hannah is a documentary filmmaker and member of Babely Shades, a collective of BIPOC artists and activists on Turtle Island that started in Ottawa but also has a base in Toronto. Babely Shades seeks to create visibility and awareness of local queer and trans BIPOC artists and highlight issues affecting marginalized groups in the community. They work to dismantle white supremacy in their communities with the hope of making space for more folks of color to participate in local arts. Babely Shades was created out of a need for a safer space for femme POCs within a small local music community in which folks of color and marginalized genders are often underrepresented and mistreated. With Babely Shades, like how, because I remember just like how much backlash you guys had gotten initially when the whole like black pussy thing happened. I'm curious to know like what obstacles do you still face in carving out these spaces, both like in Ottawa, in Toronto and beyond? We did get a lot of backlash. There's like a ton of different backlashes, but like the mm -hmm. one that I remember vividly because I just joined the collective at this point yeah. was the queer one. And um, that was extremely, yeah, that was extremely hard to go through. I mean... Obviously, we had each other, um, but, you know, like, some of us got doxxed, and, like, some of our information was being shared on, like, these little threads on, like, 4chan and Reddit, and, like, we just didn't know what was really happening, because nothing like that happened to us before, um, and it was all because we were just, like, a bunch of, like, mainly, like, some of color mm. who were being really vocal about us not wanting, like, this this all-white, trans-misogynist, anti-black band come to the town to do a show. So, yeah, it was a lot of backlash over the internet. Um, and you had, like, some people, like, in the community in Ottawa, but, like, that doesn't really phase us too much because we don't go to the spots that, like, those people go to anyways. Yeah. Um, we just try and create our own safe space and, like, go to friends' shows who, like, who we trust. It was it was a weird time. 
Jeez, it's like such a like a bold thing to like stand up and like put your your mind and your body on the line like that. But I really commend y'all for holding that space because it does take so much guts. And I'm just wondering, like, do you feel like you are as a collective are constantly trying to carve out your own spaces or are there like venues and organizations that you do trust? Like how does like allyship look like Um, these days for you guys? Allyship is kind of like. I mean, it's gotten us to, like, a, a better place. Like, in the beginning, it was just us kind of, like, doing it at our friend's house, um, like, part, like shows and parties at, like, the, this punk house um, in the center town of Ottawa. But then it got to a point where, like, you know, people in the community were, like, actually okay with being held accountable and want to, like, move forth and, like, basically help with making the scene more inclusive. And so that's when we started to get, like, bigger, like, booking collectives of, like, mainly white dudes who obviously have a lot of social capital within the auto music scene because they're white and, like, older men, and they've been working the scene for a while, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of that privilege. And so sometimes, yeah, they would use that to kind of help us. I remember there was, like, this um, African-American punk band from the States that came to Ottawa um, called Rough Francis, and they're the sons of this legendary um, all-black band from the early 70s. So, like, it was really, like, proto-punk. Like, they were punk before punk existed, and they're they're called Death. So they came to town through this booking collective called Spectrosonic, and, like, it was really cool because they, like, we didn't really have much to do with, like, the actual booking, but they co-presented it. Like, they allowed us to co-present it with them, and, like, you know, we helped with promotion, which is really cool. Like, that's, I think a lot of, I think white bookers should do that more. Like, whenever, like, POC and black and indigenous punk bands come to town, Mm -hmm. and if there's only, like, one POC punk promoter that you know or like one POC punk collective that you know you should like definitely have them help you promote it yeah because how else are you going to get like a right crowd for it and like you're just repeating the same patterns if you're just um exactly yeah, and I feel like privilege. all genres even like parties like there's more of a party culture in Toronto and and in Montreal where um those two cities were trying to establish like um people shades in, in those two cities as well yeah um and so like, it's, it's the same thing. Like, there's, like, a ton of white dudes who, like, bring all these, like, trap guys and rappers and all these, like, these black queer DJs and, and, and rappers from the States without thinking of, like, oh, hey, there's, like, a, you know, there's, like, a black POC queer booking collective that could, you know, like, really use a lot of that exposure. And it's just, like, you just have to, like, hold yourself accountable. And, like, a lot of these shows, like, I remember there's this one DJ that came named DJ Haram, and it was put put on by this um, white electronic music collective called Bedroomer. Mm-hmm. And so DJ Haram is this, like, Pakistani queer, um, like, brown woman from, like, the States. She's in and Disc so, like, Woman, too, right? When me and my friend, sorry? She's in Disc Woman, right? Disc Woman, right, yeah, yeah. And so when me and my friend went, we were, like, expecting a lot of, like, Q-Pox to be there, and, like, it was just, like, so much white people. It was, it was really, um, it's kind of sad, and, like, that's the thing. Like, that's, like, you're forever going to get that kind of outcome if you don't work with like QPOC bookers and promoters and um, artists from the community. Um, a lot more that can be done. Like I think it'd be cool if we did um, a workshop, like just te- like femmes in the music scene who know how to record and produce their own track could teach, you know, like people who are like coming up in the music scene would like to produce and, and record their own tracks too because a lot of times it can be frustrating when only like men or like mass presenting folks have this knowledge and you feel the need as a singer, songwriter, uh, musician, to work with a lot of men. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it just doesn't work. Like, it really just does not work. 
I kind of just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about like the whole like blank canvas situation. Like, were you guys ever involved with, did you ever throw events there? And like, they're currently like crowdfunding for like a new space, but um, like just yeah. what kind of impact has that had on like Baby Shades and just like the BIPOC? They got, they got a new space Oh, now. they did? Awesome. Um, and so they're renovating that space. They're like in the process of renovating it and just making it look really nice and Doing, yeah, so, like, decor and doing all that kind of stuff right now. And a lot of folks in the community are, like, coming out and helping. And so the, so the money's being, like, put to good use, and it's a much bigger space anyways. Cool. Um, so much more events can happen there. And also, I think um, John's goal and, like, his, like, vision and dream for it is to, um, this is, like, what he's expressed just on his social media, but, like, he wants it to be more of an all-inclusive art space that's basically open like all hours of the day and it's just like accessible to artists um, to just come and create and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And like there'll be resources for them to, to come do that, whether um, you're a visual artist or a musician or whatever. Like, you know, he, he does he does a lot of those different art forms. Like he's like an art curator and so then he also like is a musician. And so I think he's just like really into the idea of like marriaging a lot of different art forms and creative forms. Um so yeah, it's it's super cool to see that you know he's back up on his feet and mm-hmm. like that blank canvas will be returning much much sooner than I thought it would be. But in terms of how it affected like the the BIPOC community and the arts community, I think in the beginning when, when it first happened, we all were really shocked by that news. I've been there so many times. Like I went there for like the opening of like the Black Boys exhibition, which was a project of like that two black men in the city collaborated on with each other, where they took pictures of a bunch of different black boys in the city and um, just turned into like this installation. It's always been like fun times. It's an integral part of the scene here, I'd say. But now they've like found a new space and they're like gonna open it up in like a month. So yeah, anti-blackness is like a huge issue, mm-hmm. especially in the city with the Toronto Police Services. When you see like a black artist get affected by that, because I think so often we're used to like black civilians who we don't know personally, but we still feel for them because obviously like we're human beings. And yeah. on top of that, if you have shared identities with them, like if you're black or Muslim or Somali or whatever, like, you will feel for them, but you still don't know them personally. So I think it was a shock to a lot of us that, like, it, was, it wasn't it was just, like, a fellow black person. It was, like, a fellow artist as well. Yeah. So. so close to um, home. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with Blank Canvas and all that you do with Baby Shades, Rude, and your, like, film practice. Do you have any, like, final notes you want to say? Anything you want to plug in about, like, upcoming projects you're working on? Yeah, I'd say look out for the Vell documentary. We're still working on, cert, like, certain titles for it, but it's, the Vell will definitely be in the title. If you're, like, a music nerd or, like, an alternative black kid who's, like, likes to listen to, like, different genres outside of, like, whatever is the norm, um, I'd say check them out, honestly. Like, they, they have great music. But, yeah, I'd say, like, search them out. There's a, there's a ton of articles on them now. They have some music on YouTube, so I'd say check out the Vell. Well, thank you so much for your time once again, Hannah. Thank you. DJing is one of the things I do for self-care. It helped me find my voice and find my people. When it comes to technique, it can range from simply curating a playlist and cross-reading one song into the next, but it can be a lot more complicated depending on your curiosity and commitment. As someone, like many, who has taught themselves from trial and error, when I heard about intercessions, I knew that this was the workshop of my dreams. 
Intersessions is a workshop for women, femme-identified folks, and non-binary individuals that offers a safe space for participants to learn the basics of DJing. Each session is facilitated by a supportive roster of amazing DJs, including DJ Chippy Nonstop, Young Bambi, Nino Brown, Ryan Playground, Frankie Teardrop, Gaillance, just to name a few. This was initiated when Chippy Nonstop, based in Toronto and Los Angeles, became increasingly frustrated with constantly encountering the boys club mentality when she would go play gigs. The sexism she faced on the regular as a woman of color is, unfortunately, common in other facets of music, bar, and party culture. She wanted to create a space for the least visible voices, the most vulnerable bodies, to learn and exchange insight and feel empowered. Since carving out this inclusive sound initiative in Toronto, Intercessions has been hosted in Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver, and Los Angeles. When I attended a workshop this past summer in Montreal, I got the feeling right away that everyone in that room was looking out for each other, which doesn't always happen when you enter a learning environment. People were coming from different backgrounds, from casually DJing at events to never actually doing it in front of a crowd before. One of the most wonderful things about being in that space was that everyone was coming at it with an inquisitive spirit, ready to make mistakes and learn from them. There are many different ways to go about DJing, so it was great to see and play with different tools each of the facilitators used to do what they do. I also had turntables at this session and gave a bit of a history lesson on DJ culture in NYC and Chicago in the 80s and an explanation of the intersections of hip-hop and early house. Nino Brown and Fanky Teardrop gave participants a tutorial on how to use CDJs, gear that seems daunting at first but is an overall amazing tool. Ryan Playground showed us how she produces her own music and gave us an introduction to the small yet mighty external controller she uses. It was really amazing to be in a space that I felt was inclusive and welcoming from the minute I walked in. It was incredibly validating to be in a room full of brilliant femmes who I could connect with over one of my passions. I left that space feeling empowered and ready to keep pushing forward in my own DJ practice. Intercessions is important because it gives these identities a space where they feel 100% safe, curious, and encouraged, which can help foster a healthy attitude for future generations of folks who want to be a part of these party-starting communities. Though there's a long way to go in making our arts and music communities more accessible and welcoming to everyone involved, these organizers and collectives are doing integral work and leading the way. If you want to learn more about any of these groups and initiatives mentioned, or want to share resources or ideas you have to make your music and art scene more accessible, supportive, and inclusive to everyone, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FemFMHFX. <laughs> Our producers are Ali Graham and Maddie Haslam. Carmela Farakbash does show outreach and assists with script writing. Thank you again to our incredible guests who are working hard to make space for brilliant Canadian BIPOC musicians and artists. If this is your first time tuning in, you can check out our past episodes at soundcloud.com slash femfmhalifax. If you have questions or suggestions for people we should feature and check out in the future, you can also get in touch at femfmhlfx at gmail.com. I'm Shia. And I'm Rebecca. <laughs>